the people dropped their idols. Okay? When Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ, his message was both revolutionary and transformational. The people dropped their idols and came to Christ. They abandoned their sorceries to come to the Savior of our souls, Jesus the Christ. When he preached Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch, he laid a sufficient foundation to last him a lifetime and it helped birth the church in Ethiopia. We must not underestimate the damage to genuine faith when we emphasize shifts from Christ. The gospel is about the call of God to men and women to come to God through Christ and be transformed into the... Oh, no. No, I'm not. Are you hearing me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay. We must not underestimate the damage to genuine faith when we emphasize shifts from Christ. The gospel is about the call of God to men and women to come to God through Christ and be transformed into the image and character of Christ. So the Almighty will have on earth men and women who do the will of God as it is done in heaven. We can see what great damage has been done with our modern day deviations where emphasis is placed on the welfare of man, his success story in his life, and his material well-being. This is not a subtle deviation. The Apostle Paul, we are here today, he will put us in the same category as Demas, of whom he said to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 9-10, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, and Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Now, the tragedy of our present-day Christianity is that we are increasingly growing men and women whose priorities are of this world, and who measure their spirituality with the level of their material resources and their worldly influence, rather than conformity with the image and character of Christ. Not a Demas who loved this present world, but a true disciple like Timothy, of whom Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others verse 21, they care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. Now, with this background, let us proceed to study this part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Verse 11, when you came to Christ, he said, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. This is the New Living Translation. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. What exactly is this circumcision of the heart a spiritual circumcision. Before we can delve into circumcision made without hands, let us look into the circumcision made with hands. The Lord God Almighty gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision to seal their relationship as revealed in Genesis chapter 17 from verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant you and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. 
This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household. And the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Now, the principal thing in this covenant of circumcision is in verse 9. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this responsibility. In this demand for obedience to God lies the heart of the relationship. The Almighty God told Moses that he's looking for a kingdom of priests in Abraham's descendants. He chose to establish the prototype of a people who are kings and priests to God, a holy people who obey the commandments of the Lord our God. Now, cutting off the foreskin of every male child is just a sign that he and his family are committed to live their lives God's way. Any other way of living is sinful. Those who live their lives outside of God's commandments, they are living in sin. That brings us to this circumcision made without hands, performed by the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now, the nature of sin, which loves to sin, was inherited through Adam. It is the Holy Spirit of God that has the singular capacity to quicken the flesh and make it alive in Christ. As revealed to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, they do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you, you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life. That is it. He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Know that after the Spirit has quickened our bodies, He will proceed to kill the desire and the lust for sinful pleasure. You see, this is where many people get it wrong. Something that the way you can live a holy life is by willpower, by being strong in your mind, by being tough. Oh, absolutely not. It is that the work of the Spirit, when a man desires with all the sincerity of his heart to be rid of the burden of this sin, then the Holy Spirit comes to kill the desire for sin. Okay? And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 from verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by his dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God. They are children of God. So first is the obligation we have to follow the Spirit rather than the loss of our flesh. That obligation, it is manifested in the choices we make daily. A lot of people miss that. Okay? When a man decides to live God then it has to be seen in the choices he's making. When we choose to obey God, we signal to the Holy Spirit our determination to lead godly lives. And he needs that signal. That triggers the power that kills the desire for lustful pleasure. There must be. You see, the, 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 the handicap I tell people often is that if that desire to move away from sin is not genuine 
The spirit knows it. It knows it. But once it's genuine, it triggers the power of God. Now, the desire to modify the flesh must be real for the Holy Spirit acts on that desire to kill the desire for lustful pleasure. This is our contribution to the process. A sincere desire to put the lusts that exist in us to death. That desire must be there. This is the spiritual circumcision that must take place when we come to Christ. And after we come to Christ, so that we can lead godly lives on the earth. See, nobody does it. So every time you discover something that is uh, embarrassing to your Christian testimony, you go to God in, in a sincere desire and say, Lord, please, there is no way your child can be living this way. Please, may your spirit kill this in me. Oh, yes, the spirit will. So we move from there to the mystical essence of baptism. Anyone who passed through the catechism, you know, verse 12 says, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Anyone who passed through the catechism in any of the Orthodox churches will remember that the baptism is def was defined for us as the outward sign of an inward grace. Okay? The, the, the way to show that something has taken place inside you. And so when a man undergoes baptism without anything taking place inside him, Peter says he's just washing away bodily filth. So that's why he says the baptism is not the washing away of bodily filth. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. Verse 12 says you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now this is symbolized in baptism by immersion. I'm not going to go into that um, baptism by sprinkling and all of that. No, that's not our, our call. When we are submerged in the water, it symbolizes our willing death to sin. When we rise out of the water, it signifies a new life lived in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Christ was by the spirit of holiness as revealed in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, concerning, the scripture says, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection from the dead is by the spirit of holiness. And it is the same power that raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead that is made available to us to mortify or put to death the flesh and produce in us men and women who walk daily in holiness and righteousness before our God. It is, it is, it, this is why uh, uh, everyone who has undergone um, baptism by immersion, they, they, they must know that uh, there is a covenant, the seal of a covenant in that uh, uh, sacrament, you know, that when you do it, you are uh, uh, proclaiming loud and clear that you are determined to, to live the life that is dead to sin and a life to God through Christ. So that brings us to the mystery of our two different deaths. And you being dead, verse 13 says, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a life together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There are two deaths that we must discover. The first is those who are dead in sin. This is the way we were 
before we came to Christ. The Apostle Paul said so in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 2. He said, that is the way all of us, that is the way we were, you know, b- before, b- b- before we came to Christ. Those um, who are dead in sin are the ones who sin with impun- impunity. You see? They're the ones, no, it's, it's verse two. Go back, go back. Okay. In which you once walked, you see, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them also, verse three says, we all once conducted ourselves in the loss of our flesh. Yes fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we are by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Yes. So so it's not as if we, we were born saints. No, we were all there before. You know, that's why sometimes, you know, when you counsel people, you say, listen, I grew up too. I didn't just become a, 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 an adult or, or a, a mature Christian, you know, or, or a grown-up Christian. No, no. I passed through all of it. So, those who are dead in sin are the ones who sin with impunity and without a pang of conscience. But after we come to Christ and through the mortifying power of the Holy Spirit, we become dead to sin. Okay? So it's either you are dead in sin or you are dead to sin. And when we are dead to sin, the attractions of sin and the arrows of temptation they fall off of us in the same way water falls off a stone. Yes, these arrows never penetrate to stare lost. That's what James was saying in James chapter 114. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, when a man has been delivered, when the the flesh has been mortified, Oh, yes, there's still temptations. There's no escape from temptations, you know. But then those temptations don't penetrate in order to develop the lust that produces the sin, that produces the death, according to the gospel um, taught by James. So this drawing away, when a man is dead, it will not take place because the man is dead to sin. Therefore, the enduring solution to the problem of persisting lust is to ask for spiritual circumcision whereby the Holy Spirit puts the lusts in our flesh to death by the resurrection power that brought our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Along with this is the complete forgiveness of our sins washed away. Excuse me washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us remember that some of the Gentile converts may still be physically uncircumcised, but that did not prevent them from experiencing spiritual circumcision and the washing away of their past sins. Now, this explains the wiping away in verse 14, the wiping away of the handwriting of requirements by which Gentiles hitherto were barred from the family and household of God under the covenant of the law. But now under the covenant of grace through faith, both Jews and Gentiles are brought into the household of God by the Holy Spirit as revealed to us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 and 19. And he came and preached peace. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now the finality is established when the Bible says here that he nailed these requirements by the law to his cross 
to be destroyed through his death as the ultimate sacrifice that satisfied all requirements for our salvation and for our admission into the family of God. Now, we go to uh, our next uh, uh, meditation, the triumphant show of victory in verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Here, our Lord Jesus Christ disarmed principalities and powers. We see this in the context of removing their power to hurt through sin and guilt. The picture is seen more clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. The Bible says here, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Then in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everyone needs to understand this. Because when we understand it, we have a, a very positive attitude to this matter of living in the image of Christ. Because it empowers us to have dominion over principalities and powers that contest with us for the high grounds of our lives. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. Okay? The accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, by forgiving all iniquity through the blood of Jesus, the power of the devil to accuse those who are in Christ has been denied and withdrawn. The iniquities by which he obtains permission to hurt or harm them no longer exists for those who come to Christ in repentance for cleansing in his blood. This is, this is something that every Christian needs to know. You know because the, 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 way, the way the system runs, you see, is that everything, everything goes by divine permission. But, but let, let me just get there very quickly. This verse is a clear picture in the mind of the apostle. It is a picture of the victorious Roman soldier being introduced in a procession where the kings and generals he conquered are riding as his slaves behind him in an open show. The apostle pictures Christ after his glorious resurrection, defying death and bringing immortality to man through the gospel. He pictures him in that same way as the general riding in a victorious procession with all these principalities and powers behind him as slaves, as slaves. So, so when he says that, uh, that uh, uh, he forgave our sins and denied the devil uh, this power to continually accuse us, we must, we must enter into that truth because it's so important for our lives. In Lamentations, in Lamentations 3, 37, we are told, we are told that uh, nothing can happen without God's permission. Nothing happens without God's permission. Okay? And that's why those who understand that know that it is important. It is important. Uh, uh, to understand how the system 
we are, we, are, we are living with thrones. Now, if we go to Job chapter 1, we see that permission was granted there in Job chapter 1. Verse 6, the Bible says there was a day in heaven when the uh, angels gathered before the Lord and Satan was there. And God was uh, uh, boasting about Job to, to Satan. And Satan said, well, give us, give us uh, uh, permission to, to, to teach this man a lesson. And then he will curse you to your face. Now, go, go to the, uh, verse 10 and you will see you know, I'll go to verse 10. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Now, look at verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, that's where the permission was granted. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now verse 13. There was a day on earth, all the calamities started. Without this permission, without this permission, nothing will have happened. Because you see, you and I need to understand this very well. So that you can be secure in your relationship with Christ. You see, this, this permission made it possible, you know. So without this permission, it will mean that there are two centers of power in the world, in the universe. There is only one center of power and everything happens by divine permission. Now, let us look at where this permission was denied. Okay, uh, um, let, let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. You know, we'll go to Zechariah chapter 3. So it's not always that this permission is granted. And so, and so what I say to believers is that, listen, you and I have to work very hard to make sure that no devil can get permission over our lives. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuked you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuked you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Next one. Verse 4. No, no. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the field of garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood there. And then verse 6. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you also shall judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. Now, here we have a man that is dressed in filthy garments. Here we have the accuser preventing him from being empowered by the anointing of God. But what did God do? This is what we call sovereign grace. By sovereign grace, the permission was denied. And instead, Joshua was cleansed. Joshua was, uh, uh, this is the, this is the uh, 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 prophetic prototype of our salvation. Instead, you and I are cleansed. Instead, you and I are washed. Instead, the records of our sins are obliterated. Why? so that the accuser will not have any evidence to use to get permission over our lives. And this is why it is so important to understand that, that when a man, you see, that Solomon said there's not a man alive that does not sin. So when a man does something wrong, even though he's striving daily to lead a godly life, but he finds that he's done something wrong, he does not wait. He immediately repents. And if there's any restitution he needs to make, he makes it. Why? To deny this permission. To deny this permission because you are conscious of the fact that unrepented sin that has not been covered by the blood of Jesus, it will show up in the records. But when a man has genuinely repented of their sins and they are determined to not to go back there again, then when the enemy appears, 
before the Lord at Sitria and says, oh, so-and-so has done so-and-so. And then uh, uh, God looks at his record. He said, there's no record. There is no record because he put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's important to understand this. That is not a man, that is nobody who is so holy that he never misses a step. Such a person, that is what they call seamless perfection. He does not exist. Only Jesus Christ lived a life of sinless perfection. But all of us, we are daily mortifying the flesh. We are daily walking in, in holiness and righteousness before God. But if we trip, like John says, you know, my little children in 1 John chapter 2, I write this to you that you do not sin. However, if anyone sins, let them remember that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins. And that's what gives us boldness. And then somebody does, we see, every believer needs to understand where this boldness comes from. It comes from the certainty that we have, that our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what um, 1 John 1, 7 is all about. The blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. Now, don't forget that this is totally different from a man who has indulgent grace, the man that is saying, oh, well, I can do it because uh, Jesus has died for me. This is different from a man who is saying, I will not do it. Oh, God, help me. I will stay godly. But then he trips up. And, and the other man is like, well, I don't really need to worry. Jesus has died for my sins. And whatever I do or do not do, I'm going to go to heaven. And, and, and God, God is taking care of everything. So all these people worrying about sin, no need to worry about sin anymore. If you just sin, just declare that I, I, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and just continue. No, that's what we call indulgent grace. There's no such thing. Because sin is still as horrible before Christ died, you know, as it is now after Christ has died. God's attitude to sin is horror. And so judgment will follow on repented sin. And here is the difference. If a Christian is, is operating on indulgent grace and he keeps doing the same thing and saying, oh, God will just, uh, oh, now, sooner or later, Hebrews chapter 5, verses, um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to, to, to 14 will kick in chastisement. Oh, yes. And that's why sometimes people go through chastisement and they're wondering, I don't really know what happened. I, yes, because when we have unforgiveness, when we are doing persistently doing something wrong, when we will not respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to correct, self-correct, then we, we expose ourselves to judgment and chastisement. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 11, 30. He says, brethren, let us judge ourselves, okay, so that we may not be judged of the Lord. In other words, do it yourself. Self-correct, self-purge, repent, change, and then everything will be settled. But if we and I persist in doing something wrong, with the understanding that um, uh, 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 grace is there to cover me, my sins are already washed away in Christ, so I can continue to sin as I like, that will lead to serious chastisement. And um, um, I don't want to say this, but... Uh, uh, it could be dangerous when people live like that. It could be dangerous. Okay. So, uh, let us revel on this. In conclusion, in conclusion, you know, there are three major takeaways from this study. The first is the circumcision of the heart or the circumcision made without hands. This is the spiritual circumcision that mortifies the flesh and delivers us from the bondage of loss and sin. It serves to render a person dead to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is stated and restated for us in Romans chapter 6, verse 7, where we are told, For he that is dead is freed from sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, we are told, In the same way, you are to think of yourselves as dead so far as sin is concerned, but living in fellowship with God through Christ Jesus. When we believe and confess that we are dead to sin, the Holy Spirit comes to kill the loss that exists in our lives. Now, the second is that nailing to the cross 
of all judgments and condemnations of the law so that grace can bring us into God's favor through faith in Christ. That's, that's very important so that you, you, you are no longer burdened, saddened, pressed down by all the errors of the past. You can put the past away and start a new beginning in your life. And then the third has to do with Christ's triumph over principalities and powers through the cross in order to empower us to lead godly lives on the earth. The Bible tells us that we have been empowered. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. This is how we are empowered to stand strong, to stand tough, to be resistant to every oppression of the enemy. And, and I say to believers, let us savor um, the, the, the powers of 2 Corinthians 5.17. When a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming. And that's why some people, when they come to me and say, oh, they say we have some ancestral something in our family and all of that. And I say to them, are you born again? He said, are you a child of God? He said, yes. Read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That, that person that had that covenant in your family is dead. You, you in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. It has nothing to do with you. And you know, that's why, that's the power of faith. You believe that, you are free. Jesus said, you will know the truth. The truth makes you free. You believe that you are free. So you can tell them, so well, none of that thing concerns me anymore. Whatever covenant they made, this is a new creation in Christ. And my prayer is that God will embolden us and empower us to go and preach the gospel that sets men and women free from all manners of bondages and empowers them to lead godly lives to the glory of God. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Doctor. Um, I have the first question here, and probably not the only question for now. But before I, I read out the question, I I remember that, you know, in those days we had, we had many preachers talk about this issue of um, of, um, of Job and why what happened to him happened to him. And they kept saying that, well, Job, um, Job had said, the thing that I feared most has come upon me. And it was because of his unbelief that what happened to him happened to him. That it wouldn't have happened if he didn't have those thoughts. I carry those thoughts all his life until it happened. Um, so what do you say about that? And um, but you can, see, question, I have you can see why, why nobody you know, is in a position to make that judgment. Because of Job, God had wonderful things to say. It's a man that fears God. You know, it's a man that walks in holiness and righteousness before God. That is not man's assessment. That is the divine assessment of this man's life. Okay? So, so Job, you know, some people will say that um, the um, permission was granted to prove that we are not fair, fair weather Christians. You know, we are not fair weather Christians. No matter um, what is thrown at us, we are here to stand solid and strong. No matter what challenges we face in our lives. No, this is this is what uh, uh, Job is about. But to sit in judgment and say, this is why it happened. Only God can say that, you know. I don't really try to venture into that because I'm, I'm not defending God. God is righteous in all his ways. Perhaps if you go, if he gives you his uh, book, you might see why, you know, he, he put up Job uh, uh, for that test and trial. But, but you and I cannot venture into that, you know. This is, this is the exclusivity of the divine, you know. To, to say why, you know, uh, 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 he let 
that go. Because in the case of Zachariah and Joshua, the high priest, you can see that his guilt was established. He said the man was putting on filthy garments, and yet permission was denied by sovereign grace. So this is this is is going to the the prerogative of deity, and, and we wouldn't venture there. Thank you very much, Doctor. Let me read the question. Sir, did Job do anything to get the devil to petition God regarding him? It looks like God done good Job before the devil. So what can we really do to avoid this kind of divine permission? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know the 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 um, where you know where there, there, there are two sides of life. There is time. There is eternity. You know, people in eternity, what they may be telling you is that it's an honor for God to boast about you. You know, but you see, on this side, we are dreading all the horrors. Okay, there are a few things though that we there are, there are a few things though that we see there. One is that Job was repenting for his children, which is, um, you know, you know all the things that were put out, you know, that the, the, the devil said, that's a hedge. Okay, move the hedge, and then we will deal with everything outside the hedge. And so they moved the children outside the hedge. They moved his business outside the hedge. Only Job and his wife were inside the hedge. Okay, so, so now, now, um, um, uh, um, Job, Job, uh, he did. He 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 was not seen to be teaching his children, okay, to repent for themselves. But he was repenting on their behalf. You know, if you are looking at it, you know, critically, you may be seeing such things that that may be why yes. those children were put outside um, the hedge. But uh, like I said, this is divine. You know, this is totally divine, you know, but that's a, a, a very important thing that is of practical significance to you and I, that instead of repenting for your children, please teach them to repent for themselves, you know. So it's not when they go out that you, you think they have done something wrong, then you go and repent for them. And then they'll continue doing something wrong. No. So, so those are some of the things we see. And then, but then you you if God wants to boast about you, I don't think there's anything you can do about that too. You know, but he must what right. what what you and I need to do is that okay. if God boasts about me, I must ask for grace not to fail him like Job. Amen. Because Job said, Though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. You know, so that's what great the grace we will yeah, ask for. That Lord, no matter what happens to me, you know, help me not to fail you, not to disappoint you. Help me not to betray the confidence you have in me. That is it. That's the only prayer we can take away from that. Uh, Uncle, please, can I can I continue? Oh yes, sure. This is Ibukun from Canada. Thank you, Uncle. Okay. Um, Uncle, can you remember that in the New Testament also, uh, Jesus Christ told Peter that Simon, Simon. Satan desires to have you, uh, to sift you like wheat. But he said, I have prayed for you. And when thou art strengthened, uh, help your brethren. So, um, Uncle, can, can we say that we can ask Jesus to pray for us, to intercede for us? When Satan comes out to try and um, ask God to allow him to strike us, can we ask the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to intercede for us at such oh, times? Oh, but Jesus is always interceding for us. Jesus always, the Bible says so, that he ever lives to, to, to intercede for us. You know, so that is already a given. However, uh, um, what, what um, um, uh, you and I need to note about the example that you've given is that some of the things that we do and how we do them, they attract these attacks. Uh, 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 yes, yes, permission. You know, look at Peter now. He made that confession in Matthew chapter 16 on the road to Caesarea Philippi, thou art the Christ. And then Jesus begins to talk about the cross and then the, the audacity of Peter, he takes him aside and says, ah, what are you trying to spoil the whole show? 
Yeah, he, no, no, no such thing is going to happen to him. And he, he made our Lord Jesus Christ to say, get thee behind, get thee behind me, me Satan. And now Jesus is going to the cross. He says, all of you will be disappointed in me and you will be running away. Peter said, Lord Jesus, it's all these small, small boys that are going to run away. You know, me, I'm going to follow you everywhere you are going, even to death. So Jesus turned and looked at him and said, Simon, before the cock will crow to you and you will deny three times, say, no, lie, lie, that can never do such a thing. So you see, when a person is boasting, be careful now. You know, the, the devil will run up to heaven and say, let us even uh, puncture this his balloon of a boast to show that there is really nothing here. That's why you need to be careful now. Don't shoot your mouth here and there, you know, like the, like we say here. Don't don't shoot your mouth and, and claiming to be this and the other and be strong. No. What, let us walk in humility before God, living carefully and quietly under the grace of God and, 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 and uh, 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 acknowledging the grace and power of God in everything we do. And then we will be, uh, like they say, uh, 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 flying under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> Two more questions, Doctor. Thank you, Uncle. Yes. Um, I can't lie. I do dread the horrors, even as I tell myself that God is good. How do we come to a place where we do not dread the horrors? And there's one more question after you answer this. We do, don't dread the horrors. You mean the horrors of uh, this type of trials? What? What? Yes. The, the Bible has already told us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is able. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear. And with the temptation, he will to always bear. provide. Yes, to bear. Uh, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it so that so giving that assurance if something comes my way okay i must say to myself god must have confidence in me to go through this you know and bring him glory so it is that confidence that you want to defend but by allowing such a thing particularly if you cannot if you don't understand where it is coming from and, and, and how it came about, you know, then, 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 then this, this is the scripture that says uh, he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear. And that's what I tell people, watch your signals because um, um, God said to Cain, sin is on the way. He said to Peter, uh, a trial is on the way. So God always sends these signals to warn you or I, you know, that you are, you are keeping a gap for the enemy of your soul to penetrate. And, and so you quickly close the gap. You quickly close the gap. God is faithful. God is good. He doesn't want you and I okay. to fail. And one yes. more question. Well, that, that's the final one. Say, so how are we able to differentiate when you are being tested like Job or when what you are going through is as a consequence of what one has done? Oh, it's not that difficult to, to, to distinguish, you know. If, um, if I go out there, I'm doing things, you know, that I know is contrary, contrary to the word of God. Or I'm boasting or I'm proud, um, you know, I'm condescending to people, you know. I, I'll give you a simple example. A brother told me that uh, somebody came to him in church for help. And so he gave him uh, some money. Then the next Sunday, that same person came to him. You know, and then he said to him, is it every Sunday now that I will be giving you money? You know, is it? So he said, as soon as that brother left, the Holy Spirit said to him, be careful what, how you answer people. Do you want to know what it means to need help? That is it. Oh. Oh. He said, do you want to know what it means to need help? So he repented. Yes. So, so even in people coming to you for help, be careful how you answer them. Oh. Be careful how you answer them so that you don't create problems for yourself. yourself. You know, it's the same thing we say to single people 
you know, uh, 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 a girl was very humble. This is a preacher story. A girl was very humble and nice. And then so, somebody came and told her, ah, any boy that will marry you will beg tire. And then somebody that didn't have pride, now pride came into to her. And then when people are coming oh. to her, I say, ah, you are still standing on your feet. <laughs> and then uh, 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 five years later, I'm still waiting for somebody to come. And then they, they, they turn around and say, well, I don't know what is happening. No. Well, you see, we need to be careful. That's why the Bible said, walk circumspectly so that you don't leave loopholes that will create problems. Something that was never meant to be a problem now has become a problem because of the way you have behaved in that area of your life. So it's important for you and I. I told I told a lady once who was complaining about uh, what was happening to her. I said to her, but you know that you consider yourself a very strong Christian. He said, yes, now I'm a very strong Christian. I don't take rubbish. I said, that's the problem. I said, that's the problem. Other people are saying, Lord, oh, please, oh, I am surviving by your strength. Oh, please have mercy upon me. But you are going around giving the impression that you are strong. Okay, so now they're giving you challenges for people who say they are strong. You know, so the Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. We need to be careful about sowing and reaping. Because like I've, I've always said, every, many people forget when they have sown, what they have sown and when they have sown it. When they are seeing mm. the harvest. Okay. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. Doctor, so okay. So I have a question. Can you hear? So we have to pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we are nothing in ourselves except what you are in us. Lord, as many as have shared in this fellowship, may your Holy Spirit Teach us to walk circumspectly. Teach us to live godly. Teach us not to be presumptuous. That Lord, our lives may manifest the victory that Christ won for us on the cross of Calvary. That as we live daily, only the things that you allow will happen to us. Oh Lord our God, I lift up my hand and bless everyone who has come to this story. May their lives manifest your blood. And Lord, as many as have challenges that they are facing, oh, may grace abound for them. Amen. They may have victory. Amen. We thank you, oh God, for there will be testimonies to your blood. Amen. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Amen.